0: So we're continuing our theme, we're calling Rise, and what we've been exploring here together is the rise of the early church, this revolutionary movement. It was radical in many ways, and we're going to see that in a moment in human history that truly turned the Roman Empire upside down and the known Western world at the time. It was something so powerful, it left an impression on those who experienced it in real time and for generations afterwards. They would look back on the launching of this movement with awe and it would impact them and it would be something they draw life off of. In fact, even today, here we are, two millennia later, and we're doing the exact same thing. That's how truly powerful this launching point of the early church was. And what I'd like us to see is that the early stages of this community, it shows us something. First, we, I have to say something on the front end here, is that this is all centered around Jesus. What we're going to see was all about Jesus. And Jesus is the best humanity has ever seen. Truly is no one, no one better. He is the gold standard. He's higher than that. There's no way to truly describe. He is the best humanity has ever experienced. No one has elevated above his expression of what it's like to be human and to attach ourselves, to engage in life with him. You know what it'll do? He will comfort us. He will come and meet with us. He will meet us where we're at, but you know what he will do? He will then challenge us to contend for the best to rise up out of us. He is the one who will challenge us to say, don't stay where you're at. You have so much more in you. And it's supposed to erupt with life-giving force. And he doesn't let us be, actually. And then bottom line, humanity, what does it look like when it's at its best? I think at its core, you know what it looks like? It looks like people choosing to give rather than take. I think fundamentally at its core, when when human when people are at their best, they're thinking about what to give and how to contribute, not what to take. This this is a choice because you know what? Jesus never came to us seeking to take anything from us. We know that, right? That he came to us, he comes to us seeking to give give and give and give and give. And those of us who have experienced his grace in our lives, he then says, all right, out of what you've received, will you be one who contributes? And that choice, he doesn't force it. He inspires it. He motivates it. But he lets us make the choice for ourselves. And this is one of those things I think we love to think about in theory, especially if someone is uh, being generous or giving toward us. To be on the other side of that is a fantastic feeling. It's, it's so nice. It's rather challenging to be that person, to step into that place. Sometimes because it's, we are in our own pain and difficulty and challenge. Sometimes because it requires much. Sometimes because there's a bit of sacrifice attached to it. And some of that is due to our own limited, narrow way of viewing things. Some of that, I think, is due to the culture we live in. Um, it's difficult, if I could put it this way, to appreciate the intensity of the waters we are swimming in today it's really hard for us not to see how affected we are by the culture we live in, but we truly are. There's no question about it. All of us are impacted by the the culture we are swimming in. This reminded me of something that I uh, I experienced a number of years ago. My wife and I got a chance to spend a couple days in Hawaii and we went to one of the islands there, Kauai, and she discovered snorkeling for the first time and it was later in the day, and so this, she said that evening, she goes, you know what I want to do tomorrow? I go, what do you want to do tomorrow? You know, this is, this is our time. What do you want to do? She goes, I want go to snor- I go snorkeling all day. <laughs> I said, oh, okay. She goes, yeah, I just want to float on the top, receive the sun, see all the fishies and the turtles. I said, that's what you want to do, all day? All day? She goes, yes. I go, what time does the sun rise? Let's get out there. I said, all right, honey, let Let's do it, you know. This is our vacation, let's do it. And I tried hard. Um, I went out there and we went out, and she was so happy. Uh, she was just in awe and looking at all the colors and pointing it out and everything. And I tried hard to, to be there, but I, I need a little more than just watching fish I can't touch because it's illegal. And, turtles I can't swim with because, again, I'll, I'll get thrown in jail or fined. And, and so I'm just sitting there, right, and I'm doing my best. And I did my best. I, I hung there maybe for an hour. <laughs> and then I was like, you know what? I need a little more adventure. It's like, I'm, just, I'm sorry. I'm, and so I didn't really say, I just decided I'm going to make this for me. Excited. I'm going to try to see how long can I hold my breath? How deep can I go? And So I went up and I took a huge gulp and just went down. And I went down there and she was like, you know, bye, you know, and, and I went down there and I'm going, I'm exploring and I'm seeing all these things and I may have tried to catch a few and, and I'm just, you know, trying to do all this and I'm looking at this and then I go back up and I go back down and I'm just having, now I'm enjoying myself. And, and as I'm doing this, going up and down, up and down, I, I'm realizing that I'm not really You know, recognizing my surroundings, but I don't really care. I'm okay. You know, I could do this. This It's fine. This is fun. I got fins. I could paddle out of the ocean. It's all right. And so I'm just thinking this, right? And it's just like, it's all right. And so I'm going up and down, up and down, up and down. And then I see a little glimmer off in the distance. Like it looks like a little tunnel. And so I make my way and I'm paddling, I'm kicking. And I go and I go into it and I I keep pushing, I keep pushing. It gets a little brighter, a little brighter. And then all of a sudden it gets all murky. Like all the sand and everything just fills the water and I can't see what's going on. And then I get to the end of the tunnel and I, I can't see what's out there what's there and so I just keep pushing 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 and it's just dead-end so I'm like oh man I'm really deep right now and uh, I'm running out of breath I better kick my way out of there and so I crouch down and I go up and I'm immediately up above water I'm on the shore (laughs) and there are these children just watching me like dude what are you doing and I'm sitting there and I realized I was pushing under the sand of the shore thinking that was some amazing cave that I was about to discover and tell the world about. And so I'm sitting there and I'm just like, oh gosh, this is embarrassing. And so I just kind of do my, you know, walk backwards with the flops and go over there and get away from there as quickly as possible. And I thought about that because, you know, it's one of those things that reminded me of something. See, life in our culture can feel like such an adventure. <laughs> Especially in this city, in this part of the world. The success The the pursuit of something exciting, it can grip us. It's so easy. There's so many experiences to to pursue and to gravitate toward. Only, listen, but only to discover that we have actually been playing in the shallow end of what life has to offer. And we thought we were caught up in something amazing. (laughs) Never discovering true beauty that exists in the deeper places. (laughs) I thought about that thought about that as I was just seeing what was going on here. I was reading this book by David Brooks called The Second Mountain. And in it, he he described our obsession with the shallow side of life in amazing clarity. He's an observer of culture. And I thought I'd share what he said. He said, our society suffers from a crisis of connection, a crisis of solidarity. We live in a culture of hyper-individualism. And there is always a tension between self and society, between the individual and the group. And over the past 60 years, we have swung too far toward the self. And the only way out is to rebalance and build a culture that steers people toward relation. He's basically saying, we need to leave behind the selfish pursuit. <coughs> and we need to pursue another one another. He says, we need to to build a culture that steers people toward relationships, towards community, and then the scariest word of all in 2019, commitment. He says, "That that is the deeper side of life. That is the place where true beauty abounds. This is what he's saying. He says, the things we most deeply yearn for are there relationship, community, commitment, but they're undermined with our hyper-individualistic way of life. we get caught up in the shallower pursuits of life and then feel completely alone and disappointed. It's called the second mountain because his whole thesis is that he's witnessed people in life get caught up. He says, you know what we are trained to do? He's, this is what he's saying, he says, we are trained to pursue a mountain of our own ego making. And when we get to the top, he says, some people get there, some people spend their entire lives there, never reaching the top. But when they get there, he says, he's noticed something. They get disappointed, It's not fulfilled. He says, and the second mountain, which by the way, I don't even think he's speaking from a a Christ-centered place. He's just observing. And he says, you know, the people that pursue a life that is actually satisfying, you know what they do? They become, because their entire lives was up about taking. He says, but then they, they discovered, no, this is not what I wanted. So what do they do? What is that second mountain? The second mountain is about what can they give? What can they contribute? What can they leave to others? He says those people, he says those people, they experience true fulfillment, which is an amazing thing because we uh, are trained to think life is all about acquiring, accumulating, and built as much as possible for ourselves. It's all about our own ego, but life with Jesus, listen, it is radically different. We need to know this. It invites us to the great adventure, a truly a great adventure, where we, we will decide, will we be people known as takers or givers? Will we become the best of humanity today in our generation? This is a decision each one of us has to make because Jesus, listen, Jesus, no one is, Jesus is the best humanity has ever seen. But to attach ourselves to him is to let him contend to pull out the best of us individually and as a community. It's how he approaches us. It's what he invites us into. In fact, this is why I believe this account of the early church is so moving because if you open up your handout, we'll take a look at this in Acts 2. It's a remarkable point in human history. And we're told in verse 42 that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. They devoted themselves. Who are they? They. They are the ones, actually, that I asked them to put this up there. They are the ones who believed what Peter said. As Peter is addressing a large contingency of people, seeing something of God's spirit move, and he decides to tell them about Jesus. And many believed... And they ended up being baptized. Publicly they said, I believe I want to be a part of this. And they added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. In one day, they. Now they was made up of people from different parts of that part of the world. And so many of them went back. But there was a group of people who remained. And they, those who remained in Jerusalem, were told, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That is, the teaching about Jesus. Fellowship. And breaking bread together. That is, remembering what Jesus had done for them on the cross at his celebration of communion and having meals together and then they were praying together. And we're told in verse 43 that as they're doing this, awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. This this sense of something special, unique occurring in in human history starts to emerge among them. And I don't know if you've ever been a part of something that you think within yourself while it's happening. Take note. This is uh, special. Appreciate it. Sit in it. It's almost as if they were experiencing something so remarkable that within them there was a sense of awe. Oh, is this really happening? Is there so much joy and life here? So much wholeness erupting. And, and they become reverent. They, 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 they want to take it in, not move too fast to it. They're not cavalier about it. They recognize something. This is sacred. And things start to happen, and we're told that all who believed together had all things in common. That's, that's the best description Luke comes up with to describe that there was a spontaneous, not compulsive amount of generosity. That no one demanded it, no one coerced it, no one manipulated for it, no one uh, you know, called anybody to do it. Spontaneously, things occurred and people started to share all that they owned together. And we're told in verse 45 that they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. It's almost as if people there were moved by what Jesus did in their own lives to the extent that they start gathering together and they start wanting to be together and they want to look for reasons to spend time together. And as they do that, something occurs in their midst and they start to discover needs that other people have and then people spontaneously, nobody stood up and said anything. Nobody taught anything from any platform. Everyone just kind of spontaneously recognized there is a need and I have the means to meet that need and some people decided to sell their possessions and to say, you know what, I want to now be a giver because of what ha- has happened in my own soul. And there was no guilt trip about it. There was nothing coercive about it. Luke, by the way, is not prescribing this. He is doing his best to describe it. To say, no, I don't know how else to tell you, Theophilus. It was amazing. It was amazing because um, something occurred here that was unlike any other point in history. Listen, in that point in history, people groups were defined by their ethnicities, by their class, by their education, by their rank, by their gender, and that is who one connected with. For the first time in history, by their religion, whatever it was, for the first time in history, all of those walls started to crumble down. We might take it for granted today, especially in a city such as ours, so diverse. It's one of the reasons so beautiful. But we have to understand that started because for the first time in history people can connect with each other outside of those lines because there was one thread that connected all of humanity and his name was jesus that is what started to break down the segments the compartments the classism that and Luke says, uh, I don't know how to describe it, but day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread, in verse 46, in their homes, they started inviting each other over to their own homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. It's almost like the atmosphere had changed. And praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It it makes sense to me what Luke is saying here. It it reminds me, this account reminds me, by the way, of the power of small things with God should never be underestimated. Never. Because this was a movement that um, a small contingent of people filled with passion to honor Jesus were able to, listen, transform their own lives their families, their environments, their neighborhoods, and even society at large. Because make no mistake, though they were small, everyone watched. And it makes sense that people would want to be a part of that day by day, those being saved. I don't know if you've ever seen a gathering of people having truly a good time. You feel compelled. What is that? I want to I know more about that. You know what the difference between this and most of those were? is that there is no regret the next morning out of these gatherings. No one's getting used. No one's getting manipulated. No one's getting fooled. No one's getting taken advantage of. No one's coming out worse than they came in. No one's getting hurt. All of a sudden, a a safe, fun, joy-filled, generous gathering? People... Why are you doing this? I want to know more. And people started, they started to say, oh, because, because of what Jesus did. Who is Jesus? Oh, he was a man who lived and, and said some amazing things. In fact, we were going to talk about it tonight at my house over dinner. You want to come over? Yeah, I, I don't have anything to bring. Don't worry about it, everyone brings something. You'll be fine. Just come and receive. Really? Yeah, just come. All right. That person would go back and say, you know what? I just experienced the most amazing thing. You, I don't know how to explain it. It's like this, this group of people, they really like each other and they, 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 they like me. You want to go? It's like, it's fun. It's, it's life-giving. Maybe they don't say that word, but you know what I mean. And they started more people, more people, more people. Who doesn't want to be a part of that? It was the best It was the best of humanity erupting right there in their midst. It was a remarkable point in history. In fact, Rodney Stark, a Christian historian, said that there were, at that time, at the highest estimate, about 7,000 Christians in the world during this account. At the highest estimate. Scholars believe, theorize, that the world population around the same time frame was between 200 and 300 million people worldwide. So if we do the math, you know what that means? The percentage of followers of Jesus, and we see it, is .000035. What is that? I don't know, tiny, insignificant, easily ignored, Uh, a blip, less than a blip. Maybe in the entire world, maybe the size of a mustard seed. Oh, but Jesus said something about mustard seeds. As Jesus said that if God puts life into something as small as a mustard seed, it has the ability to erupt and flow and give life. It's remarkable when God is in the midst of something. Never underestimate small things with God. Because here we are, 2011, as of 2011, 2.19 billion followers of Jesus in the world. Sociologists estimate by the time we get to 2050, three billion. What's our current population? 7.7. A small movement, all but unnoticed, except by those around them. See, here's what happened. They couldn't escape the fact. It was inescapable how rare and special that community was. And it elevated. It was was a community ignited by the Spirit of God working toward the same end, united around the sacrifice of Christ and His teachings. And whether it was small or large, the contingency was able to revolutionize their society. And it still does today. I believe there's so much here for us because God still wants to see humanity at its best and the expression of his communities are his means of doing it to elevate, to rise to the best. (laughs) How do we do this? I want to suggest a couple things. I want to say that we elevate to our best when we commit ourselves. This is what they modeled. Commit to a life that is free to rather than free from. There's so many times we confuse this faith journey about what we are supposed to avoid, which is fine. There's a place for that. But a life that is free to is one that chains itself, listen, to virtuous habits so it can be something meaningful and do something meaningful. Uh, We know this to be true in any other place of life that's worth pursuing. It requires us to commit ourselves to a discipline, to an ethic, to learn it. I remember one of the first times I recognized not all things are made easy when I heard a saxophone player and I thought, wow. I think I was like maybe seven, eight years old and I thought, I want to do that. My dad said, you want to do that? I said, yes. He goes, all right, let's sign you up. And I went and I got my saxophone and I took it home and I played it and it didn't sound like that guy. And then I kept trying, and it just, it, it just didn't happen. And it didn't happen for such a degree of time. And here, I ended up, I don't play sex. But we have somebody in our community who does, and I remember, I remember telling him, man, I, I, I love hearing you play. Yeah, it sounds so good. He goes, yeah? I, he goes, Why you ever try to pick it up? I go, yes, but I wasn't that good. He goes, 10 years, and you would have been. And I said, huh, where were you when I was eight? No. <laughs> but see, if we chain ourselves to disciplines, this is true in sports and in skills and in performance, in, in the qualities that we admire, that there is a learning curve where it is not easy. It is not natural. It is not something we readily do by second nature. We must be willing. Listen, if that is true in every other area of life, it's true with our faith journey. No question about it. And they come. what did they do? They committed themselves to knowing and learning the teachings of the apostles. That is, his words. It's all about Jesus. They wanted to know him. They committed themselves to gathering together. You know what they didn't do? I'm going to say this and I mean this as kindly as possible. I don't think they missed many Sundays. I don't think it was a convenience thing. No, I think they said, we're making this priority. We're committing ourselves we're gathering. They, they, they signed up for a group, and then they showed up to that group. And when they were there, they showed up. Like, they were present. I know. But th- I'm just saying, this is what happened. And you know what occurred? They, they committed themselves to celebrating what Jesus had done for them. They, 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 there was a new rhythm of life. And you know what it happened? This is the starting point, Luke says. This is what they did. And you know what, what that produced? All that work, all that discipline, you know what it produced? It didn't constrict them. It didn't restrain them. It erupted them. And all of a sudden, they were capable, listen, of living in a broken and dark place filled with life and hope and strength and courage where that was an absolute famine in the land. They anchored themselves so that they can actually enjoy life. This is why spiritual disciplines matter. They're not meant to uh, snuff life. But especially in a culture and in a city such as ours, listen, you know why they matter? Why it matters that we connect with the rise and shine, why we should read at least a verse a day, at least why we should develop a habit of praying, why we should develop a habit of attending and gathering. Why? So that we can be less lively? No, so we can actually enjoy life without being corrupted, injured, destroyed by all the elements in our water. Tim Keller said, freedom is not about removing all restrictions. It's about holding oneself to the right ones. We do that. We are able to discover what Paul told the Philippians. Listen, there's so much about life in the deeper side. Forget what you're giving up. Focus on whatever is true. Focus on whatever is honorable and just. Whatever is pure and lovely. Do you know how much whatever is? It's a lot. Focus on whatever is commendable. If anything is excellent, go there. If anything is worthy of praise, anything, anything, enjoy it. Go there. You're free. You're free to do that. But only if we discipline ourselves so we can be strong enough to actually enjoy it, regret-free. You know what else they did? They show us that uh, we elevate to our best when we commit ourselves. I'm just going to say it straightforward. Christ-centered relationships, friendships. Christ-centered this is different than any other relationship we might have. It's meant to be spiritually satisfying and strengthening. They're different than normal friendships in that they share the common bond of faith in Christ. I have friends, right now especially, my Golden State Warrior friends. <laughs> and man, are we in pain. I got, I got friends from my school days I stay in touch with every once in a while. Some of them are in our midst, even now. I have friends that We share hobbies and interests, and it's so fun. It's good. It's nice. All those friends are great. It's not about abandoning any of them. You know what it is? It's the fact that I have friends I share this faith journey with, and I'll tell you what, it's not by intention. It's magnetic. Those are the strongest bonds in my life. Because Jesus is stronger than any hobby or team or event or affinity or interest. It's not to say those are unimportant. It's just to say that there is no stronger bond than the one to share our faith with. And we must intentionally, if we are to become the best humanity is supposed to witness, then this this is huge. This is why they were able to do what they did. Because it doesn't mean, by the way, simply replacing those who don't know Jesus with those who do know Jesus and doing the same things we did with those who didn't know Jesus. It's not really about that. No, a Christ-centered friendship with with other people, it's about having intentional conversations about our journeys. How are we actually doing? It's about learning how to ask questions and listen to each other. It's about sharing in struggles and doubts and fears and anxieties and taking the risk of being vulnerable. It's about praying for one another. And it's not meant to be some holier than thou thing or some weird unnatural thing. It may not be normal, but you know what it looks like? It looks like having a conversation with someone who shares the same faith and in the middle of the conversation say, you know what, uh, why don't we just invite God into this? I hear you, but why don't we just say, you know what, let's, let's, just, let's just, nothing elegant, nothing decorative. Hey, what? let's just take a minute, let's just pause. Hey God, uh, you're, you're in on this conversation. We just want you to be a part of it. And we ask for you to inform these words and our thoughts in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, what were you saying? I'll tell you what. It changes things. To be intentional. To actually share in this bond of faith. It's about carrying burdens for one another. It's about learning how to receive help by asking for it by investing into actual friendships with people, letting people see us and we see them, investing in them and letting them invest in us. It's about reaching out and saying, I'm in trouble and I need help and I'm, I'm somewhat embarrassed I'm in trouble, but will you help me get out? And I'll tell you what, that will save That will save more than you have any idea. That will prevent so much damage. That will prevent so much mayhem. That will protect so much. It's about defending each other. I personally can tell you, my friends, they have been amazing in my times of need. Helping me remain anchored, remembering God's goodness. There have been times I've gotten to play that role. But this Is how we contend because the best of us doesn't always want to come out, but we need someone else to say, Hey, you're way better than this. You can do it. I believe in you. We got this, you and me together. One person, by the way, changes everything. One, two or three. (laughs) Now we will rise. Now we will rise to our best. Because we will rise, we will elevate to our best when we commit ourselves to an ethos of generosity and grace. Each of us, by the way, and I say this, it's kind of in vogue right now, and so I'm going to use it this way. I really believe we're all environmentalists in one regard or another. That we have the capacity to impact the environment about us in a profound, profound way. One individual has the ability to transform a culture and atmosphere. We know this. Uh, we, We know what it's like for somebody who is carrying toxic attitudes. One person releasing that changes the environment. And you know what? The opposite is true. The opposite is true that when we commit ourselves to learning how to be free, to enjoy this life, when we commit ourselves to learning how to connect with one another, and abandon our, our own selfish ambitions in the sake of protecting and helping and strengthening and investing and loving one another and praying for one another, that when we do things, you know those things, you know what happens? When something within our soul starts to change. The environment within us starts to change and life starts to erupt. And all of a sudden, we become people who are marked by grace and generosity. And we become the people who step into an environment. And because we're special? No, because the one who loves us is there, and he wants not just to elevate our own soul, he wants to cause the best to come out of everyone we are around. So we become the people who set. We're the thermostat, we're those. Wherever we go, we're meant to be the people known by choosing to give of ourselves rather than choosing to take. We're the safe harbors for others to latch onto. We're the ones who will strengthen others. We become, our community becomes the safety net. We become the comforters and the strength givers, the ones who restore and confirm and strengthen and give life to others. That's us. That's what we're supposed to be. This is not a movement locked in 2,000 years ago. It's one Jesus is wanting to create in our very own midst. (laughs) When we recognize this, you know what happens? The, the environment of our friendships in our home life, our work life, or in our neighborhood starts to transform. And God, listen, God wants to elevate us to the best expression of humanity. This is his desire for us. Because he loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That anyone who would receive him would give, receive everlasting life. Ah, oh, maybe we be the ones who say, Lord, wherever I am, elevate, change, transform that place because of your love. Cause the best to come out of me. Cause the best to come out of those around me. May that be the case. It is what he longs to do. And I wonder, generations from now, who knows? Maybe people will write about it in its unique, beautiful way. Not exactly like this, but somebody might say, you know what, there was a moment in time, I don't know how to explain it, but there was something special happening in the heart of San Francisco. And all I could say is, it was inspiring and awe-giving. It was beautiful. These people. They were the best. May that be us. In a moment, we'll receive our time of giving, in a closing song. But Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you are, you are one who loves us, who gives to us beyond anything we deserve. And I thank you, God, that you invite us to reflect your generosity and your grace, your goodness. I pray that you would cause, even in our own midst, the best of us to, come, to rise. And that you would continue to transform us individually, our community, our neighborhoods, our homes, and the city we love. In Jesus' name, amen.